you have that reading from Romans chapter 6 open in front of you and pray with me that God would speak to us as we continue our series on this great word, amazing word indeed, grace. And so we ask for grace. Let's pray. Give us grace, O Lord, not only to hear your word with our ears, but also to receive it into our hearts and to show it forth in our lives for the glory of your great name. Amen. Free at last. Free at last. Thank God Almighty. We're free at last. These were, if you recall, the noble words of a noble man, Martin Luther King, at the Lincoln Memorial in Washington on the 28th of August, 1963, at the end of his I Have a Dream speech. At the same time, another prophet of freedom was preaching his dream. Hugh Hefner, the founder of Playboy, who died this week, aged 91, once said, Life is too short to be living someone else's dream. Now, Hefner grew up in what he called a puritanical Methodist household in Chicago, Illinois. And it was the pure prudery of this upbringing that he hated. He felt imprisoned by the rules and customs of mid-century America. And when he began his magazine with some pictures that he'd brought rather cheaply of Marilyn Monroe in the 1950s, he saw himself as the forefront of not just a sexual, but a social revolution. And he was selling, and I mean he was selling, a kind of freedom. As he once said, I believe embracing sexuality is part of what it means to be free. I think embracing sexuality is part of what it means to be free. This was the Playboy philosophy. Hefner, I did air quotes for those people listening at home. Hefner cleverly tied his magazine featuring pictures of naked women, as if you needed to know that, to the highest of American political ideals, freedom. He made purchasing a girly magazine sound like a morally necessary act. One sociologist said, Hugh Hefner's significance is as a salesman of the libertarian ideal. A salesman of the libertarian ideal. When churchmen criticised him, he laughed at their joylessness and their hypocrisy. When feminists like Gloria Steinem criticised him, he pretended not to know what the problem was. Wasn't this empowering for women after all? Isn't, didn't he love women? Hefner grew rich because he understood our deep desire to be free. We want political freedom for sure, but only so that we can have personal freedom. We want to be free from interference and judgment so that we can do what our desires tell us to do. Hefner was a symbol of a male version of that, surrounded by blondes, living in his mansion, flying in a private jet, and staying in his pajamas all day. Hef did end up living the dreams of others, the dream that I can allow myself any indulgence I like and it will be okay. But personal freedom is never like that. At least we can kind of convince ourselves that it's okay so long as no one gets hurt is the only moral Geiger counter we need to run over something we want to do. But usually that's by being willfully blind to the consequences. 
The supposed personal freedom of Hugh Hefner is a dream so few of us actually live because it depends on the enslavement and the exploitation of others. Hefner lived at the top of a pyramid of slavery, no less than the pharaohs of Egypt. This is the first great lie of the playboy philosophy. But more than that, giving unfettered expression to your desires is no freedom. This is the second great lie that giving unfettered expression to your desires is freedom. Being free to do what I want any old time does not, in fact, set me free. It enslaves me to my flesh. Without discipline, without self-control, our flesh completely masters us. We find that we cannot do but what it commands us to do. In extreme form, of course, we know this from the life of the addict, whose life is very obviously and sadly enslaved. His or her whole person is dedicated to the addiction. Indulgence doesn't make you want less, it makes you want more. Now, I'm very conscious that not all of us here would admire Hugh Hefner or the Playboy philosophy. But he had a perverse insight into the human soul. We'll give him that. Playboy magazine may not be your thing, but the freedom to be your own master certainly is. To be able to live out our deepest wishes without restriction is a fantasy that drives our consumer economy. Our lives are given over to working to purchase the dream of being free to do whatever we want. We can get this just from observing it work itself out in ourselves and in others. This is a truth observable from the world around us. But it's the Bible story of us as well. At this point, I think Hugh Hefner and the Bible are in agreement. I assume you thought you might never say that, hear that here at St. Mark's. The human story, you see, begins with a picture of us as God's creatures made in his image and with an extraordinary task to till and to fill, to name and to claim the earth that he has made. God gives us our very being, our existence, and then invites us to share in cultivating the universe that he has made, enriching it, making it even more beautiful, bringing out its potential for his glory and for our benefit. God has enormous joy in his creation and he makes us as sensual creatures capable of pleasure and joy and delight and gives us that period of time, the Sabbath, for us to enjoy the world in. He gives us the freedom to be creative in the world, creative as he is creative, to bring our personal touches to it, to express ourselves in the task that he has given us. There was freedom in God's service. There was dignity in it. It was a freedom to be what we really are, neither animals nor gods, but creatures made in God's image with a special task. But that sadly, was not enough for us. The story of the fall, the tragic story of the fall, which is our story, which is your story, tells us that humankind is seduced by the idea that we would be happier if we were completely free, and especially if we were free of God. If we were, instead of servants of the God who made us, gods ourselves, 
masters of our own destinies, captains of our fate, and called to serve no one but ourselves. What we didn't realise, what we still don't realise, is that this freedom is no freedom at all. It's like a domesticated pet rabbit making a bid for freedom from the family home, not realising that it is walking into the jungle where it will last five minutes. Or it's like your computer, smart though it is, deciding that because it has become so amazingly intelligent, that it will disconnect itself from the power socket and go it alone. That is what we are like in rejecting God. That's the insight we really needed about true freedom. True freedom is not the freedom to be whatever you dream. True freedom is to be what you are made to be. True freedom is not to be whatever you dream, but to be what you are made to be. Now, the passage we had read to us from Romans chapter 6 points a stark alternative for us. Either we are slaves to sin or we are slaves to obedience to God. Two kinds of slavery, but only one is free. Sin has enslaved human beings, conning us by telling us that we will be truly free without God. But it's a deeply destructive force. It wreaks havoc on our relationships, on the world and on you. It twists you and dehumanizes you. You cannot escape it. It kills you and condemns you. And Paul points this out in Romans chapter 6, verse 23, just the end of the section we looked at today. He says, the wages of sin is death. Sin pays out, all right. It pays out, but it pays out in the coldest currency of all. It destroys us. So how can we be free of this terrible bondage to sin? How can we escape from this vortex created by our futile dash for freedom? Well, this is where the grace of God, that extraordinary word, grace, comes in. For Jesus Christ did not live under sin's dominion. He was tested and yet resisted. He was the truly liberated man, freer than any Hugh Hefner. Not because he indulged himself, but because he did not. His symbol was not the rabbit that Hefner made others become, but the lamb that he became for others. His death was not the ultimate victory for sin, but the end of the reign of death. Paul says Jesus died to sin, by which he means Jesus absorbed the worst that sin could do to human beings, and yet it did not overcome him. Instead, he overcame death. And so Paul says death no longer had any dominion over him. Death did not rule him, was not his master. And in this, Jesus unlocks the key of the prison that holds us in and sets us free. In him was the great moment of liberation, the moment of liberation that we've been looking for. Christ has died, and when we trust in him, our old enslaved selves die too. Michael 1.0 has died on the cross with Jesus Christ because Jesus has taken on himself the deadly impact of my sin. And if Jesus lives, as surely he does, then Michael 2.0, 
also lives, a new man, free at last. Thank God Almighty, I'm free at last. Sin and death no longer reign over me. I am alive to God. And though we were helplessly enslaved, we have by the grace of God now a liberator who has come along and smashed our chains and set us free. This is the grace that frees us. Not the wage that condemns us. The grace that frees us. Now, you know, it's a truth that I think we find really hard to believe existentially. We find it really hard to believe that sin has been robbed of its power to domineer us. We, we, we're so easily convinced that we really don't have any other option than to obey our passions. We still imagine that sin is our boss and we must do what it says. We are docile before it, like the family dog. We roll over and let it tickle our tummies. We believe that we can't let go hatred and contempt for others, that we can't, we just can't let go our meanness and be generous, that we can't stop the, jug the juggernaut of our sexual selves, that we can't stop the lies that are our companions. What we aren't told is, by Paul, here are the rules. Now you guys, try harder to obey the rules. You see, ignorance is not our problem. And education is not our solution. We need to believe in the message of grace, that sin has no power over you because of Jesus Christ. You're not its victim. It has been beaten, not you. In Jan Martel's Booker Prize winning novel, The Life of Pi, which was made into a movie, it's the movie about a boy and a tiger on a boat, if anyone remembers that movie, he tells the story of a, of a boy called Pi who grows up in a zoo that his father owns in India. Partway through the book, Pi, the narrator, tells us the story of a zoo worker who was going about his normal duties when he met an escaped bear heading straight for him. Now, this is the zookeeper's worst nightmare, as you can imagine. And so the zookeeper dropped what he was carrying and ran for his life and told the zoo staff. And the zoo staff, of course, headed out to look for the escaped bear. Where did they find the bear? They looked everywhere, but finally found the bear back in its enclosure. It had simply climbed back into its pit the way that it had got out. His point was... Animals love their enclosures. And there's lots of stories of animals being freed and still returning to their cages. You and I, you know, we're very much like that. We grow comfortable with our old selves, our sinful selves. We're familiar with them. We can scarcely believe that we are free and maybe to that sense of vertigo. What if I have to change or do something risky now that I'm free to be something different? But just like the animal returning to its, the free animal returning to its cage, it's as tragic as it is absurd. We've been cured of a deadly illness. Why keep going back to the hospital? We've been offered a so much better story. Why do we keep telling ourselves the boring old story with its deadly end? Now, to experience this freedom from sin is a lifelong struggle for all of us, for all Christians. But the way to experience it is to hear what Paul is saying to us today, that in Christ we already have our freedom. 
We just have to stop resisting our freedom. In the era after Britain had declared the slave trade illegal, the story is told of a ship full of slaves, a slave ship leaving Senegal and heading off to the United States where slavery was still going on and encountering a British man of war on the, on the high seas. Now, the British man of war uh, set sail and made its intention pretty clear that it was going to uh, overtake and could easily overtake this laden slave ship and it was going to, it was going to let, let go, the, it was going to capture it and let go of the slaves. And the slave trader was, of course, very worried at this. And so what the slave trader did was that he gave swords and guns to all the slaves. He unlocked them and he said, these people are coming to kill you. Now fight them. And so a number of slaves died fighting off their own path to freedom, fighting their own liberators. This is what you and I do when we give in to sin. We refuse to believe that our liberator has come for us, that we've actually been set free from it. But by grace, he has set you free and given you true freedom, a freedom to be more truly yourself. This is the secret we need to wrestle with ourselves to believe. As you rise to pray each day, this is the thing that you need to wrestle with. Thank you, God, that you have set me free. In serving God, I am more truly able to find myself than in serving myself. Your arms and your legs and your mind and your talents were made by God for God's service in the world. That is where they are most at home. That is where they are most truly what they are made to be. You were made for God's righteousness, for making peace, for bringing healing, for challenging corruption and abuses of power, for telling the truth, for courageous and risky generosity, for welcoming strangers and for loving your enemies. You were made to tell the praises of God. Your lips and tongue were made for that task. You were made for comforting the grieving, for bringing hope to the poor, and for doing justice where there is injustice. You were created by your God and freed from sin by the grace that comes through Jesus Christ to be like Jesus Christ, to imitate him, to copy him. You were made by him to find your wholeness and your joy in the good of other people and not in fixating on yourself. There's one of the most extraordinary, uh, extraordinary liberating parts of this entire message is that you don't have to spend your life in that nauseatingly boring process of looking into your own navel to try and find what you're supposed to be like. We're given a freedom in what Pastor Tim Keller calls self-forgetfulness because our task is to serve the good of others. And in that, ironically, we find ourselves. Paul says, having been set free from sin, you have become slaves of righteousness. Slaves of righteousness, are we still now in chains after all? Well, what we fail to notice is that God does not micromanage us. 
He allows us, he always did, he allows us to be creative and imaginative in his service. He gives us enormous scope to express ourselves as we serve him and to find our unique place in it. He's gifted us all differently. How you serve God, how you can and will serve God, will be different to how I serve him. It is the end point that is the same. We freely serve him to bring about his glory in the world, for his kingdom come and his will to be done. And what we fail to notice as well is that serving God is actually the most perfect freedom of all. It's what we are made to do. In fact, I stole that phrase from the old Anglican Book of Common Prayer, which has a marvellous prayer, which has almost as a side comment in the prayer to God that his service is perfect freedom. God's service is perfect freedom. Can that be right? Yes, he can. Because in serving God, we must truly humanize ourselves. And so are most truly ourselves. We become in him what we are made to be. We serve a master whose goal is not to destroy us or to consume us or to take what we have and leave us for nothing, but to heal us and to watch us grow and to delight in us as we delight in him. Will you pray with me? Our Lord and loving Heavenly Father, we, we pray that we would find in your service that perfect freedom, that we would believe you when you declare that we are now no longer facing any condemnation in Jesus Christ, that sin is no longer our master, and that in Jesus Christ we have freedom, life, and righteousness. And in his name we pray. Amen.